Hello and welcome to episode six of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Look, today's uh, interview is with Matt Tamplin, who is CEO of Waste Services Group. And I think this interview is uh, interesting for a couple of reasons. The first is that Matt talks about the differences in leading a team of 1,300 people with a budget of about 500 million and a team of leading 25, so a significant difference there and some of the challenges he faced in, in, in doing so. And the second thing that really sticks out for me in this conversation is Matt has been able to very clearly articulate uh, a particular methodology and model he has uh, liked and taken with him through different leadership roles and he and how he uses that informally in and in formal context. So I think it's going to be a really great interview for you to hear. Uh, happy listening and love to hear what you think. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Welcome, Matt, to the uh, Synergen Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time and agreeing to be a, a guest. Uh, so that the listeners have a little bit of context, so you're able to share a little bit about where you are now. Yeah, sure, Julian, and thanks for the opportunity to, to have a chat today. I'm currently looking after a group of companies uh, in the waste industry, but I think one of those that the listeners may be interested in is a, a waste management business called Wasteflex. Uh, so Wasteflex is probably crudely described as a waste brokerage business, but it really is a waste management organisation that sits alongside our customers. We look at their waste needs. We procure the best solutions uh, from a, a very large network, or in fact, probably Australia's largest network of, of waste service providers, uh, and then we manage that for the life of the agreement. So with over a 1,000 uh, commercial customers across the country servicing about 3,000 sites and a network of close to a couple of hundred uh, service providers, uh, we look after the waste requirements for businesses across a whole host of industries. And I think, uh, to be honest, one of the reasons why I took up the role, I was just really bought into the value proposition, having run businesses for a lot of years where waste wasn't a huge focus. I probably realise now how much money we wasted along the way, but uh, yeah, that's what Wasteflex does. It's not very well known in the industry, the model or the business, but, um, but that's what we do. And how many people in a Wasteflex? And There's only 25, so it doesn't actually require a lot of resource from our side because uh, obviously the contractors are the ones that we're engaging, but we've got a large... Uh, customer service team, operations team, and, and obviously our sales and, and account management team. It was 25 people based uh, currently in Victoria, New South Wales, but growing around the country over the next 12 months. So uh, is there an interesting fact that you think uh, point of interest that people might not know about either the waste industry or, or Wasteflex? I think in terms of Wasteflex, the model itself, as I said, a sort of waste brokering for want of a better term. Just few people actually know that it exists, that it is a service that's available. In the US and Europe, waste brokering is one of the dominant forms of waste management, but in Australia it's probably less than 5%. But it really is uh, one of the fastest and easiest ways for businesses to get improved cost and service outcomes. It's just very, a very simple, simple model. So I think just the fact that there's a very low level of awareness in the industry that the the model exists, that's really one of the key strategic challenges for our business over the next couple of years is to raise the awareness level 
and uh, you know, start having more conversations with the right type of businesses that could benefit from the service. So uh, I'd like to take you back to your very first uh, leadership journey and uh, what was the very first role that you had as a leader? Technically, it was probably when I was a finance manager back in Tollports and, and I started with a small finance team. But I think the one really that's most relevant was when I became the Northern Region Stevedoring Manager. So it was my first operational line management gig, I should say, uh, for Toll. And I was looking after the port and, and stevedoring operations on the East Coast for Toll at that time. Uh, so across four locations, that was probably about 150 staff and looking after an account managing some pretty major customers, including our largest one in, in Bluescope. Um, so that was coming out of finance commercial roles, thrown into a line management role and probably thrown in over my head, I'd say, but uh, but it was good fun. Okay. And what were some of the mistakes you think you made in your first your first role? There's probably plenty of those. Oh, actually, I know, looking back in hindsight, there was plenty of those. But I think, uh, you know, I, I certainly lacked confidence going into that first role. And I know I spent a lot of time second-guessing my decisions and what was the right thing to do. I do have a natural style to want to engage with the team and, and get collective input before you know, making key decisions because I like to be informed. But I look back then and you know I know that uh, that lack of confidence probably at times just slowed things down a little bit because I was a bit sort of frozen at times because of that. But also in the certainly in that first leadership role, I really thought that as a leader I had to have all the answers. And I'd come out of roles where you know I knew how things worked, I knew how they got done. The questions people would ask me, you know, I generally had the answers for, and I went into a role where that just wasn't the case. And and I thought as a leader, well, hang on a minute, if I haven't got the answer, am I, am I failing in my, in my job? Um, you know, I've come to learn now that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers, obviously, but at the time, uh, you know, I just felt that that was my my role and, and probably maybe made some, some wrong decisions along the way as a result of that, I guess. A couple of other quick ones. I know that, you know, in managing people, sometimes things aren't working and, and you know, you're unsure whether the person's going to make it. There's times when I know we probably should have made those decisions earlier to move people on, but I, I just really wanted it to work and, and you try and you try and you try and eventually you just go, you know, no more can be done, but you make the decision and think, I should have done that six months ago. You know, I just we just let that go on too long so I just really wanted or just thought I could turn it around just so I could make it better. But the other one, and, it, and this took me a few roles to really understand this or know what to do about it, but I saw a number of instances where you take someone who was in an operational role, a functional role, and you put them into a supervisor or management role for the first time. And you think, right, you give them a new title, you pay them a few extra dollars, and right off you go, mate, you'll be right. And Sometimes that just doesn't work. And, and there's nothing worse than having someone who's a really good employee at what they do and you give them a step up and it doesn't work and they feel like they've got to leave and you end up losing you know, a really valuable employee because you've just put them into the wrong role and inevitably probably didn't give them the right training and development and coaching and mentoring, all those things to get the best out of them. So you know, probably looking back, uh, over that first role, that were some of the mistakes, but uh, you know, I'll be honest, it wasn't only the first role when I made those. Some of those continued on for a couple of roles until it, it dawned on me, I'd say. Okay. And what about some of your biggest successes? In that business, all that time with, with Toll, the business grew at you know, a pretty impressive pace, um, largely off the back of acquisitions, um, but new business. And 
anyone who's worked in businesses that are growing, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a great place to be when your business is successful and you're growing, you're having wins. So the success really there for me, though, was about the opportunities that were afforded to the people who worked in the business. And, you know, I, I got then and still do get a great satisfaction out of seeing opportunities created for people. Uh, and I think that was one of the beauties of, of that growing business. You know, I was one of the beneficiaries of that as well, and the opportunities that were afforded to me. But there were a lot of other people in the business who also grew as the business did. And, and to me, that was a great success because there's no doubt that there were some really good leaders that, that came out of that time in the business. I think the other one was around the safety improvements that we made. And, you know, I can, I can distinctly remember the, the time when the line was drawn in the sand in that business around things had to change, that we worked in a dangerous industry and, you know, we had to start focusing on finding every possible way to keep our people safe. And I, can, and I remember the, the fallout from those discussions when, you know, the, no uncertain terms, the management were told this is the way it's got to be. And we did a lot of work over a period of time looking at, at safety leadership and how we can improve that. But, you know, some of those improvements, at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than people getting home to their families in one piece. There's nothing more important to me and, and I'm no different to anyone else. So those safety improvements uh, in all the roles where we've been able to do that are, are certainly one of the things I'm probably most proud of in terms of success, for sure. And do you think it was during uh, that role that you decided this whole leadership thing was for you? Honestly, it's not something that I really thought about back then, whether leadership was for me or it wasn't for me. Um, I think the opportunity to take up that role was a little bit unexpected. It wasn't a role I applied for or it wasn't something that I sat there sort of thinking that's the next step for me. At that time, I probably wasn't really sure what the next step was for me. And that was probably a bit of that confidence thing about, you know, if if I had thought about it too much, maybe I would have thought I couldn't do it. I don't know. But but I was given the opportunity. Uh, I said, okay, I'll I'll give it a shot and I'll, I'll see how I go. But I probably didn't didn't give it a lot of thought when I went into the role and I didn't give it a lot of thought when I went into the next role, the role after that. Um, my career's been a bit more about, I've been really fortunate that people have given me opportunities, trying to just back myself and, and done it and winged it along the way. So I, I don't think at that time it was ever really a conscious decision. I think um, it was probably much later in my career when I, I started to think, okay, uh, some of these roles are getting bigger and some of the responsibilities are getting bigger and is this the... The, the path that I want to keep going on or or do I you know want to just sit at a certain level so but early on in my career I didn't think about it, I just did it and how long were you in that role so all up uh, and I think that that role plus the follow-on roles in toll uh, was about five years so after about 12 months as northern region manager I became the, the general manager of Steve Adoring and when told what Patrick the general manager of the combined businesses um, so all up, that was a little over five years. Uh, that that grew from the four businesses originally to um, probably about 30 by, 30 by the end of it. Okay. So you've had a taste of leadership. Mm-hmm. What move did you make and, and why did you make it? So probably for the, the last four years in that stevedoring business, uh, I was just constantly travelling. And I would have been... I was living in Newcastle. They'd moved the office to Sydney. A lot of the operations were interstate, a lot of our customers were interstate. I was probably away from home 80% of the time for close to four years on the road. You might get home late at night from being interstate and you'd be in the car early the next morning to get down to Sydney or whatever. So with a couple of young kids, 
uh, in the end, we all got tired of it. They got tired of it, I got tired of it. And an opportunity came up in Melbourne, um, still within what was then the Asciano organisation then, uh, in the rail business with Pacific National, running the intermodal operations business. And it just ticked a lot of boxes. I'd been thinking in the lead up to when that came along that it just wasn't sustainable what I was doing from a family perspective. And Newcastle, there wasn't a lot of similar opportunities at that time. And I guess that was a question about do I stay and 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 sort of go, well, I'll just take a, a lesser role for the, the lifestyle and the family benefits of Newcastle, if you like. Or when the opportunity came up, I said, do we throw caution to the wind and move to Melbourne and see how it goes? And, and that's what we did. And I moved down for the PN role. And obviously it was the right move for you? Yeah, it was. It was. Certainly from a work perspective, it was. And I, I had a really enjoyable four years at Pacific National. And again, I, I learned a lot and, and had a lot of fun along the way, met and worked with some great people. Uh, and from a family perspective, it, it was really beneficial as well. And, I mean, the girls are a lot older now and I couldn't pry them away from Melbourne. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good move all around from that regards. But certainly in terms of addressing the issues, yeah, it absolutely did those. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so... Are you able to give the listeners a bit more context about what uh, the intermodal role was? Yeah, so Pacific National in running their intermodal freight trains around the country, um, we had uh, we were operating at five terminals. There would have been 14 depots for drivers, probably about 1,300 staff in that role around the country, running uh, over 100 interstate trains per week. And I think I had a budget, it was a little over half a billion dollars then in terms of the budget that I was managing. So it was a fair responsibility. It was a pretty intense role. Um, you know, those, those trains operate 24-7. Uh, the nature of rail is, and the interactions with, you know, the public and, and a lot of things, including, you know, dramas and all sorts of stuff. There's just a lot of things going in rail that not a lot of people see. And invariably, they always happen on a Friday or a Saturday. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty significant role, it was a pretty intense role, but as I say, it was enjoyable. The business had been, it had been a few years out of government ownership at the time, but, um, but you know, it was probably, I think, about four or five at that time, but there was still quite a bit of work to be done to sort of take it to the next level commercially, so there was, there was lots of opportunity there, I think, in terms of how collectively we work with the team to really start to improve the operations and, and get things happening, so it's good. And did you think you found the move into that role easier as a leader because you had some previous leadership experience? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, that I did have some confidence, and I did have uh, you know a bit more of a sense that maybe I had a clue about one or two things, and you know that that would certainly help me uh, in the new role. That five years experience in Stevedore, and you, you really start to draw on your experience about what worked and what didn't. I, I do always like to reflect. Uh, on what's worked well and what hasn't worked well. And I find that any time that I change, change roles or I'm about to change roles or do something a bit different, that for me is a perfect time to reflect. So I went into the new role really thinking about, okay, over the last few years, here's the things that I haven't quite hit the nail with. I'm not going to make those mistakes again. I'm going to draw on that experience to, you know, hopefully um, get better outcomes at PN as a result of what I've been through at, 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 uh, at Toll. So... Yeah, without a doubt, I think so. Um, I also started to come to the realisation that um, rail's different to ports, which might be different to other things that I've done, but in fact probably two-thirds of the issues are all essentially the same between businesses, that my fear that somehow everything I knew was only relevant to ports and stevedoring, you know, soon became apparent that in fact no, uh, 
a whole host of issues are just the same. And, you know, almost no matter where you go, sure, there's industry-specific stuff, but there's a lot of things that, that aren't necessarily uh, unique. So I think once once the penny dropped around that point, um, I started to see where all my experiences to date really were helping me in that new role, and, and that's kind of a theme that's, that's carried on more and more over my career, how much I realise all, how all those experiences just add up over time. And what leadership skills do you think you brought into the role? Um, for me personally, and I think the type of businesses that I've been a part of that uh, service, generally service-orientated businesses, I think it's all about the people. Uh, and certainly, unless you've got the right people um, who know where you're going and what their role is and what the benefits are for them and, and they're engaged and, and there's you know an, an element of shared values, I think you won't get far. So with that in mind and in terms of, of my skills and probably just taking it from a bit of feedback I've had over the years, I think the ability to build report, report I should say, from teams and, and hopefully to have the teams in behind me, I think... I've had some pretty good success with that. And that's probably a combination of a little bit my natural desire to engage with teams where I can and really listen to the people around me, taking their opinion, try to deeply understand the issues before I make the change. And I think people uh, firstly appreciate the opportunity to have that involvement in the decision-making process, the sense that they feel like they're being heard as well and, and their opinion matters. But I also genuinely have a, a you know, real respect for people. And I think it's easy when you run businesses with literally hundreds of, of people working for you that you don't know or, or you don't necessarily see regularly. You know, you can look at it and just think they're all numbers, you know, you got a thousand people, it's just a number. But I think generally I've had a real respect for the people who work in the front line, who work on the wall, or drive the trains or drive the trucks or whatever that, those roles are, I've got a deep respect for each of those individuals and I'm really mindful of the contribution they make and I think that certainly helped in terms of the type of culture in the organisations that I've worked for. Um, but also say, look, I've got a pretty healthy level of restlessness in terms of wanting to see how we can do things better yeah. uh, and a desire and a real enjoyment for change as well. And I think that, that, that has helped. I'm not the sort of person who just sits back and thinks, oh, well, we've, we've done well, that's enough. I'm always looking at what's not working and what we've got to do better. Yeah, so they're, they're probably the main ones. I'd say I'm pretty determined as well. And, and probably the other one is that I think is important I'm pretty consistent. I think my staff generally know, the people who work with me generally know what they're going to get. And I find that when you're working for a leader who's not consistent and you don't know what you're going to get and you, you're almost playing reaction roulette every time you go in and see them, that that tends to cause a, a bit of a barrier between employees. So I think people have appreciated the fact that when they deal with me they pretty much they know what they're going to get and they know that if there's issues or there's problems that uh, you know they know what the response is likely to be and, and you know that, that that certainly helped in terms of those relationships I've been able to build with teams. And were there any significant successes that stand out for you during your, your time in that role? Look I'll, I'll, the safety performance again certainly was one but I, I won't cover off on that again in too much detail but that certainly was a positive. There were a number of productivity and efficiency initiatives that, that we achieved in that time. And like I know one of those around the fuel saving initiative was, was really interesting because it was simply, you know, we used to spend massive amounts on fuel, that business does spend massive amounts on fuel. 
And we simply engaged with the drivers and had some discussions with them around the importance of trying to find fuel saving initiatives and, and what the benefits were for them. And we asked them their opinions. In a lot of cases, they had a lot of the answers and we just put some basic measurement tools in place and, and really got that, got that engagement and a bit of enthusiasm for the drivers involved. And, uh, you know, there was a carve out of some millions of dollars off that annual fuel bill in a short time simply by working with drivers, engaging them, involving in the process, explaining what we need from them, asking them, you know, how we can do this thing together. And, um, you know, it's just a, a small example of something very simple. I think the other thing that I was pretty proud of is the work we did as a team around our leaders. When I got there, I think the, the structures, in particularly in one part of the business, the structures and the role clarity and the responsibilities and accountabilities, it was all, it was all pretty blurred. And I think did quite a bit of work in terms of uh, setting that up in a way that we ended up with individuals who were pretty clear what was expected of them, and they had probably much better uh, skill set towards the end of that in terms of how to actually do their role in a way that gave them a lot more personal satisfaction. So yeah, I was pretty proud of that as well. Okay. Do you feel as though there's any unfinished business? Yeah, well, I guess nothing's ever really finished, is it? So it's all unfinished business in some respects. Um, I think uh, the unfinished business piece was probably around, there were some major developments going on at the time that we'd started and I didn't see through and I would have loved to have seen those through because they were, you know, some of those were sort of transforming the way that we did business. And probably the technology piece and, and again, a combination of unfinished business and a little bit of a failure, probably a bit, a bit slow slow on the uptake with, with technology as well in some things that I look back now and think we could have done that a lot smarter if we had been a bit more focused in that area. But I think we spent a lot of time on some lower hanging fruit and some some sort of people side of things where um, where I think we could have fast-tracked some of the improvements if we had been a bit sharp around uh, the IT space, the technology piece. And what was the uh, the catalyst for you to leave that role? Look, my time at, at Toll slash Patrick slash Pacific National, um, it was great, but it had essentially been 14 years with the one company. And, you know, that's, for me, uh, look, I'd had a lot of roles in that time uh, and I've been really fortunate in the experiences I'd had, but I, I just felt it was time to do something different. Um, I felt the business in some areas was moving in a direction that I probably wasn't as passionate about is probably the best way to describe it. And, and I'm not someone who's going to hang around and moan and complain and whinge or whatever. So uh, yeah, I just, I just I think mentally I, I thought, okay, well, I'll start to think about sort of what's next. And, and I was just fortunate that I was approached about another role that, that ticked a lot of boxes, but it was more long time, more or less one company. I'd, I'd worked in most of the divisions. I'd had some pretty senior roles and um, I just felt it's time to go out and, and do something a bit different that, that would challenge me with a, a new opportunity. Okay, so fast forward to the current role. We've had all this experience about taking your leadership skills uh, from one workplace to another. And one thing I would like to explore is you mentioned earlier about um, the size of waste flags. Mm -hmm and then earlier about the size of the number of people in uh, the intermodal team, so, you know, 1,300 to 25. How do you find the differences between managing such a, a vast difference in, in people numbers? I think one of, the, one of the things that's a lot easier with the size of business I have now is getting that consistency through the organisation in terms of the sort of culture that you want to have. And, and what I mean by that is it's... I used to think 
Pacific National is a classic example where we we would be talking. I, I'd sit around with my team and, and we'd be discussing, you know, let's say it's safety leadership and, and the way we want to go about, you know, improving that aspect of the business and in trying to embed the right culture, we'd then talk to my direct reports, they talk to theirs and then we talk to the supervisors and, and you try to continually get that messaging right through the organisation but to get the messaging and the words and the things that people were saying to be aligned with their actions is obviously a lot harder when you've got a large hierarchical organisation and to get everyone aligned and, and, and getting consistency in terms of those behaviours and the way people are going about doing things is really quite difficult when you're dealing with 25 people that you look at every day and talk to every day, you know, it's it's a lot easier to get that, that I suppose that culture change through the organisation is a lot easier when you've got a small business and you're able to have that interaction with each individual on a personal level uh, on a daily basis. So I think, I think some of those things are just a lot simpler when you're dealing with smaller organisations. And it might sound really obvious, but I guess... It was some of the some of the times when you reflect on why things didn't happen as successfully as what you would have liked to be, and then you realise that, you know, getting those messages consistently through the organisation and getting people to understand the path we're going on and to you know, modify how they go about doing things to align to you know how you wanted it to be, can be really really difficult when you're dealing with literally hundreds of people and trying to get that change. So. So that's probably the main thing. But again, having said that, I still come back to two-thirds of the issues, whether it's 1,500 people or whether it's 25 people, are still essentially the same in terms of you know, how you are developing the future leaders or how you are trying to improve the culture or how you are trying to do other things. A lot of those experiences, whilst I might apply them in different ways, I think a lot of the, the experiences are very relevant because the issues are very similar. And are you able to provide a bit more context around around your role now in terms of are there any specific performance metrics that you look for? You know, any expectations that you're uh, set with your teams? I think uh, essentially this opportunity with Wastelux is really to grow the business. So as in my role as the, the CEO for uh, Wasteflex, the business has had great success over 14 years in getting to where it is. But the model isn't particularly well known. It's just one of those things. It's been you know, slowly ticking away in the background, but really to take it to the next level is critical. So in terms of this role, the key thing for us is really uh, getting the model better known, our business better known in the marketplace and getting that growth and that rapid growth over the next few years. So I think some of the issues that will come out of that again as, as we grow and we've been recruiting uh, people over this year and we will over the next couple of years as well as we grow that national presence uh, is really about getting firstly consistency through the organisation in, in some of the processes and how we like to get things done. To grow the business and you bring people on some of the growing pains can often be around you know it was a lot easier when you had 10 people slightly harder when you've got 25, when we've got 50, it'll be harder again. So as you bring people on really trying to get that consistency and not and not change those parts of the culture that have really made us successful because as the business becomes a bigger beast, it can be harder just to keep that all intact, if you like, and as you introduce others. So I think that'll be certainly one challenge. But the other one will be, you know, as the business grows, it will create opportunities for people. And 
certainly not making that mistake again by you know, taking someone who's good at their functional role, giving them an opportunity in a growing business and, and not giving them the best chance of being successful. I think that'll be critical for me as well. I, the people who've been there for a long time, I really want to see them succeed as this business grows because they deserve it because they've done the hard yards and opportunities will come up. And I, I'm, I'm just determined not to make those same mistakes, I think, by you know letting letting people take that step up and, and it, it doesn't quite work out for them so you know that'll be that'll be a really interesting test for our business i think okay okay well i wouldn't mind uh spending a little bit uh, time just getting some general views on leadership so what do you think is one of the biggest myths about leadership that you've uh you've come across uh, the the concept that uh leaders are the the all wise all knowledgeable gurus have got all the answers and, and they know exactly where Organisations should head and, and, and where it should go and how it should happen. I think I think that's rubbish. I mean, firstly, come back to it being all about the people, and and I think leaders are often really a reflection of the quality of the people around them, their ability to build great teams, and very very rarely is it ever about the genius of, of one person. I mean, you know, I think you pretty much assume that it's, it's almost never about the one individual. So. No one's got all the answers, and there's no one person that's going to provide a better outcome, I think, than, than often the collective inputs of the team. Obviously, someone has to make a final decision and, and be accountable, so I get all that. Uh, but certainly with leadership, I think the hidden value really is in the quality of the teams that you have around you. you know, there's been times in my career when, you know, as businesses have grown or as I've gone into roles and... People go, that's a massive role. I don't know how one person can do that. But it's not one person doing it. It's really about the quality of the team. And it just always comes back to being about the people. So to expect that there's one person at the top who's going to know it all, have all the answers, you know, and, and is, is going to be able to, to do everything on their own, it just doesn't happen that way. And I think people sometimes look at leaders and put them on a pedestal. Um, you know, you kind of want to peel that back and look at the teams they've got around them. And I think... When you do that, that's when you really start seeing, you know, where that value is um, really quickly. I think the other one is that uh, that there's some link between leadership and hierarchical structures, which is just not right. Leaders are everywhere in the business, and many of them do not have any formal leadership role. They're informal leaders, or you know, leaders amongst their peers, or whatever it might be. And uh, and I think. That's also a myth that people think that leadership is somehow linked to your title and that's just not right. There's, there are leaders all over the place and identifying them and tapping into them and helping that to drive the culture of your organisation is a really, really important thing, I think. And how would you describe yourself as a leader? Uh, yeah, I, I find these questions sometimes a little bit difficult because I, I, I think they're almost better questions to ask people that I've worked with, I guess, but, but that's what I'm here for. So I, um, a few years ago, I don't know when it was, I, I was thinking about something along these lines and I thought I'd come up with this great term because I, I think I'm an authentic leader and I think I'm someone who is generally works within the framework of, of the values that I have and they help drive the way that, that I lead businesses and what I do. But I actually thought I'd come up with this term authentic leadership all of a sudden and thought, oh, there you go, until I Googled it and found out it had been around for 20 years and <laughs> plenty of things written on it. But but I think I think there's, you know, it, it does come from a fairly genuine place. Uh, you know, I don't lead 
because I read something in a book. It's kind of just, uh, yeah, who I am as a person, I think, generally comes out in the way that I lead. I think the other thing is um, I'm a low-key sort of leader. I'm not, an, I'm not an extrovert. I don't think I'm an introvert, but I'm more a low-key leader. I'm, I don't seek the spotlight. I'm probably happiest flying under the radar. Today's not the thing I would have rung you and asked to do, but, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. But I'm, I'm someone who, uh, it's, it's not all about me. It's, it's about the business and it's about the people. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, I think that uh, maybe some people see that as a bit more of a positive than having someone who uh, is you know, more ego-driven and, and more wants it to be all about themselves. I don't know. And uh, what would you say are some of the positive leadership traits that you display? Um, I would like to think that, uh, you know, who knows, you might be flooded with messages from people saying that this is, this is not right. But I, I'd like to think that, firstly, approachable as a leader, but I'm, I'm fairly considered in my approach. Um, I think I'm fairly perceptive as a leader, and I, I think I've got some reasonable BI that sort of helps with that, but I think I'm reasonably perceptive. I'm certainly determined. Uh, I don't like to be beaten. That's not in a competitive way. Um, that's more in a, I just don't like a problem to get the better of me. So there's something that needs to be resolved. I kind of won't rest until I've found a way to resolve it. I'm certainly someone who's very respectful. Yeah, I'd say. And probably, probably uh, I'm also someone who's, who's very, very comfortable uh, with accountability. The buck stops with me. And if it doesn't work well, you know, not uh, it's not about blaming everyone else for what they've done wrong. If it doesn't go well, then you know there must have been something that the business should have done differently. And if I'm leading that business, then then the accountability sits with me. So yeah, it's probably the other way I describe myself. I'm pretty big on that. And do you think those traits you described allow you to get the most out of your teams? Yeah, I was I was a bit um, pleasantly surprised, a bit chuffed. I had a, an employee a few years ago say that. They felt that I get the best out of people without them even knowing it. And I had to kind of think about that for a minute. But I think uh, I would like to think that the employees who work for me, you know, they do feel engaged. They do understand because I'm quite open in terms of being willing to talk with employees about what is happening and what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, maybe I should get on the front foot more and, and communicate. But if someone comes and asks me a question, as I say to them, I'll always tell you the answer, unless I can't, in which case I'll tell you why I can't. But being very open, being quite approachable, I, I think that helps with getting the team engaged, getting them, giving them an understanding of, of where the business is headed. Um, I think they feel supported in terms of their contribution to the business. I think people understand what it is that I expect from them and they're also given the space to go and do that. Whilst that, whilst that's a little bit about how I like to work and maybe I'm assuming that's how everyone else likes to work, I can't recall in 20 years ever doing an interview with someone and they say, oh yeah, I really like to be micromanaged. You know, like no one ever says that. It's but So as long as people understand what's expected of them and you give them the space to do it, I think people like that and that's... That's how I like to be treated and that's how I like to treat the staff. So I think there's a combination of those things that sort of come together and people know that they have to perform but at the same time are given the space and the support to do it but they also have the broader context and understanding around what we're trying to achieve and all those things kind of come together if that makes sense. And I'm always curious when I talk to leaders about if there's any particular methodologies, frameworks, tools 
that they've uh, come across which they use. Is there anything which resonates with you? I'm, I'm not a massive reader of books. I have read you know, a number over the years and, and I read sort of articles on and off throughout the year, but I'm not sort of someone who will digest everything that gets published or comes out. But probably the one that sticks in my mind and I come back to more often than anything else is Cotter's eight-step change management model. And I had a guy who worked for me in PN, really interesting character, who gave me that book to read and it, it, it really helped me understand where I'd gone wrong in the past. And it was a framework that I've used since, sometimes formally, but it's more just mentally I come back to it on a regular basis. And there's parts of that that you know, pop in my mind whenever I'm about to do something that's a change management piece and I think about. So that's the main one. The other one, whilst it's not so much a leadership thing so much, or, or not to the same degree, but some of the lean visual management methodologies that uh, I was exposed to through a fantastic boss I had at Pacific National, um, I, I think are great. I, I had some real light bulb moments when I was looking at some of that, or some of the, the, the lean methodologies generally, but some of the visual management stuff was really, really powerful and I think certainly helped with a, a lot of the work we were doing uh, in those PN days. Okay, and was that things like the value stream mapping and those type of tools? Or certainly some of those. boards and... Yeah, certainly some of those. But those lean boards, if uh, whether they're still there now, I've been gone a little while, but in my time there, you know, you could walk into a terminal, in particular a terminal, and go to the lean board, and literally in 30 seconds, you would know how they went yesterday, how they're performing today, or expected to perform today. Um, and also some broader context for the month as well around how they've been performing. And it was just such a, a simple way to provide the people in that business with an understanding of, of the performance of that business and how it was tracking. But things like, as you say, the, the value stream mapping and, and some of the 5S and some of the other things were, yep, we use those to great effect in the business. Yeah, they're really powerful. And what would you say your biggest leadership challenge is? I think in this role right now, it's really more about getting the strategy right and nailing those initiatives that will really launch this business into the next phase. So we've been through the planning process, we've got the strategy in play, we're well down the path of implementation and I think the benefits are going to take a little while to, to flow through just due to the nature of the business. Um, we certainly need to be agile enough to make variations if we think it needs some tweaking, but this business has huge potential, it's, it's a great model, but we've really got to nail the strategy and um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a bit of new ground in it for us as well, but I think that's, at the moment, that's, that's the biggest one. There's certainly a few others bubbling away in the background, but um, we've got enormous potential, enormous opportunity here, just got to nail it, and it's new ground. I mean, you know, we're, we're currently the largest business of our kind in the country, and we want to take that you know, much further, so it's not like we can copy someone else in Australia. There's others overseas who've done it, and take some learnings from them, but... Um, yeah, really, really nailing that. We've got a huge opportunity if we get it right. So that's probably for me uh, the strategic bit at the moment. It's probably probably the, the biggest thing. But um, but I'm really pleased with progress today. Sure. Okay, and just exploring that further, how do you find the the, the challenge of having a strategy versus the challenge of the implementation? Because a lot of businesses <laughs> struggle with that. Yeah. Um. And and look, I've seen some fantastic strategies over the years that were never implemented. Geez, they look great on paper and we got all really excited and then we didn't. We just went back and did what we had to do. I think there's a couple of aspects to that. Ultimately, 
resourcing it properly. I mean, certainly the, the making the commitment to the actions and assigning the responsibilities and tracking it and all those things around the process of actually implementing those things. But, but, but where I reflect on where it just didn't work is when you're asking people who are busy in their day-to-day -day job, and let's face it, you know, more, more people these days have been asked to do more things in the same amount of time. It's just the nature of business. So everyone's business, you know, busy doing their day jobs. Then to come in and say, okay, we've got the strategy we need to implement, and so here's a bunch of other things that I need you to do. Most people will, when times get busy, revert back to the day-to-day -day things. So I think um, really making sure that we've adequately resourced for the strategy to be properly implemented, I think, is critical, uh, and that's one thing we'll certainly make sure we don't make the mistake on this time around. But it, it does need to have the conviction from the senior executives that we are going to do this and we're going to make it happen. And you know, it's not on our watch. It, we will not let this thing slip. Sure, you adjust timeframes here and there, but you just don't get complacent, sit back and let the thing gather dust. You've got to be committed to implementing it and making the change and, be, and, and hold people accountable for it. And how do you measure the success as a leader, your success as a leader? It's a, to me, it's a combination and it generally comes back to the stakeholders or the people around me. Um, so my, my, uh, my, I suppose my general philosophy throughout my working career has been I just want to understand what's expected of me and I want to work as hard as I can to deliver on that. So. Um, I've been asked to lead a business and sure there's the normal business metrics or indicators that'll tell me how those things are going but first and foremost if the people who've gifted me the opportunity that I have in the board you know if if they're happy with how things are performing then yeah that's a tick if I can see that the employees are engaged and they're motivated and they're challenged if they're proud to say where they work and, and of what we do. If they want you know, other people they know to come and join us when opportunities arise, that's always a good sign. But if I know that that our people are in a good place and what they're, and they're, and they're doing good things and doing things I'm asking for them, then, then something must be going right. If our customers, you know, we're attracting customers, but at the same time we're retaining customers and the feedback from them is positive, then there must be something going right there. So I guess as a leader, I'm looking for external signs that things must be going okay because the board's in a good place, the employees are in a good place, the customers are telling us everything's going well. But at the end of it all, I guess I'm, I'm at probably my own harshest critic. So if I feel like I'm achieving the things that I've set out to achieve, then that's the last piece of that success puzzle. It doesn't really matter in some respects if the board is telling me it's good and the employees are in a good space and you know the customers are happy. If I don't feel like I'm achieving the things I've set out to achieve, then to me that won't feel like success. So that's really that, that fourth piece of the puzzle. So yeah, I'll take the external indicators and the external feedback, particularly from the board employees, um, customers as well. But you know, it, it's more an internal thing to sit back and go, yeah, look, this is actually going well. This is panning out how I expected. We're actually hitting it out of the park. That's when I'll be able to go, yeah, I think this has been successful. Anything less than that, and I'm probably not going to be satisfied. And how do you look to build capability within your leaders and employees? I think there's numerous ways, and clearly formal leadership development programs are really valuable in building that capability. And, and you know, I know that's where 
certainly your programs have made a real difference in businesses that I've been a part of, and I think that's really important. The other things, though, are just involving people in new things, exposing them to new situations and problems and opportunities and experiences, and as part of that, being really open and prepared to talk through business issues or or why we're doing what we're doing and, and just being willing to spend the time. And that's not, I'm going to get everyone in a boardroom and I'm going to you know, stand up and put PowerPoints up for the next half an hour. It's more, you know, as, as you walk through the office every day, you know, stopping and, and having a chat and invariably things come up and you have the opportunity to explain what's happening or what's going on. Or Once you develop that rapport, people will ask things they wouldn't normally ask. And through that, I find that people start to get a better understanding, better grasp on the business and in terms start to build their own base on which they can develop their capability because they've got a broader context. So I think the formal stuff's really important, but I think there's a lot of other small bits that help people on their journey in terms of developing themselves uh, in their career and, and ultimately as, as leaders. Um, I think the other thing is just being really, really clear around, as I mentioned before, what's expected of people and then giving them the space to actually have a crack at it and maybe make some mistakes along the way, but um, you know, learn from those and, and just constantly be talking to your employees about how they're tracking, how what they're doing, how their performance is going, how successful they've been and, and where they're finding some challenges and just working with them to try to you know, give them some advice or a bit of a hand along the way. I just find that informal stuff, formal stuff's fantastic, but you've got to keep doing that informal stuff every day, wherever yeah. you can. Yeah, the experience plays a huge part, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely, it does, yeah. And more and more, you know, that experience piece, you know, it, it really has dawned on me in the last few years how much all the previous roles I've had all add up to the experiences that I have now in terms of what I can cover off on a handle or, or, or you know, find a solution to because I'm drawing on something that happened in this role or that role or that time over there and uh, you know I think when you're young and you know kind of think maybe you do know it all or you know you see the grey-haired people and maybe don't have as much respect for them I think once you've been in business a while you really start to properly understand the value of experience because you yourself are benefiting from your own experiences in the way that you apply that in, in your in your current situation. And um, yeah, that's probably been a real learning for me in the last few years. Just, yeah, it's very easy to say experience is important, but you think of it in terms of functional experience. I just am now realizing how all the, all the years of things that I've done are now starting to add up to you know, um, helping me today. One of the things I'm, I'm very uh, big believer in is that relationships are always the key to your success as a leader. So, and a big part of that is networking. Uh, how do you go about networking? And yeah, uh, networking's not something that I would put on my uh, top five skill sets in terms of I don't necessarily proactively do a lot of it. I have been fortunate enough, though. What I would say in terms of networking is I have been fortunate enough. Uh, to work for some large organisations and work with you know a lot of people over a few different industries, and sometimes even in this current role, it surprises you sometimes. You know, you probably know a few more people than what I what I would have thought. Um, but I, I, for me, I've always tried to, when I do work with people, be it as you know a colleague, um, be it a customer, be it a supplier, I always try to keep those relationships as positive as I can. 
So where I've found, from a networking perspective, where I've found, I think, a bit of um, a bit of benefit is through just making sure that I don't burn bridges, I keep all relationships positive, and when I do find a time in the future where, uh, you know, someone might need or might want some assistance or want to deal with me or vice versa, that, um, you know, those doors are pretty open because of the way that we've always left things, no matter how challenging or tough the environments have been, if it is with customers or suppliers, for example. So, so whilst I don't actively do a lot of it, um, I'm certainly a big one for always trying to make sure that the interactions I have are pretty positive and, and that kind of maximises the potential of those sort of naturally occurring networks through business, I'd say. And, and what about mentoring? Have you had any experiences with mentoring? And A little bit. A couple of short stints. Uh, I really enjoyed them. I think I got quite a bit out of them. I'm, whilst I haven't done a lot of it myself, I'm, I can certainly see the benefits of it. I think the introduction of a mentor, I mean, any time, let me go back to any time that I think you, you self-reflect is, is probably time well spent in some, some regards, because we all get very busy just doing stuff. But the opportunity to start to reflect in the first instance is good, but the opportunity to then discuss that with another person and a person you know, with the sort of skills that a lot of these mentors do have is hugely beneficial. Um, Without a doubt, and and I think probably there would have been times in my career where I would have benefited greatly. I still would today, without a shadow of a doubt. But but certainly times in my career where I know that if I had a, had a mentor, I think the outcomes would have been even better. But some of my bosses over the years have, have probably filled that role as well. I've had uh, a couple of bosses who have really uh, been been quite good as mentors as well as you know as your line manager if you like so i've been a little bit fortunate in that regards but um but i, I think it's hugely beneficial if you can find the right mentor and and uh, and lock that in have you ever considered being a mentor yourself to someone else I, I, look i've had people ask me before and for whatever reason it hasn't sort of made it over the line and i, I get i suppose i get flattered and sort of questioning you know you're sure but uh <laughs> but at the same time um I'd certainly, I would certainly be open to it. And when I've been asked in the past, I've been more than happy to, to help wherever I can. And, and that's probably a little bit about my nature. I, I, I enjoy helping people. So if, if it's through mentoring or any other guys, if someone asks me for assistance, then I'd be more than, more than happy to. So again, if that opportunity came up in the future, I, I reckon it'd be really rewarding, actually, provided that I, I did a half-decent job of it. I reckon it'd be, that'd be really rewarding, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the future mm -hmm. for a little bit. Um, what, what does the future hold for you? Are there any specific career goals you're looking to pursue? Or yeah, that's that's interesting. I uh, I've never been one to have a career plan, so I've, I've almost never planned anything career-wise in my life. Um, I've been quite fortunate, for whatever reason, call it luck, call it whatever, but that opportunities have come along and. You know, there's there's plenty that you say no to, or there's some you say no to, and but but I've I've picked some great opportunities, and you know I started with Toll for example at a time when it was going through enormous growth, and I had just a number of opportunities that were given to me there, which was great. Um, there's been times that I've gone okay, I'll go and look for something else, and things have come up, but more often than not, it's been something that's kind of found me. So I'm not motivated by title, I'm not motivated by status. I just want to be challenged. I want to enjoy what I'm doing, and I kind of just 
I look at it that I want to get to the end of my career whenever I finally hang up the keyboard and think, you know what, I probably did the most of the skills that I had and the capability that I had. But at the same time, I really enjoyed my career and I had a lot of fun. So at the moment, what the future holds for me is really delivering on the strategy and really turning Wasteflex and the other businesses into you know fantastic um, organisations, even better than the ones they are today. So that that is my immediate focus, and uh, you know there's nothing uh, outside of that. But uh, if I look long term, I have no idea what the future will hold. As long as I'm continuing to work in roles, as I say, that are challenging and exciting, you know, it doesn't really matter the industry or the or the title or anything else. I do hope that at some stage I've got the opportunity to do something uh, in a capacity that, that, that's involved sort of in the, say the not-for-profit or the, or the social side of things, if you like, but I'm not saying that's necessarily from a pure full-time space. It's just more, I just, I would like an outlet for that desire to sort of give back a little bit and, you know, so I've always got an eye on what's the right way to sort of inject myself into that. But, um, career-wise, though, no, for me it's pretty simple. I'll just crack on and and deliver what I have to do for this organisation, and hopefully it'll continue to throw up great opportunities for me, and we'll see what happens from there. And uh, how do you continue your development as a leader? Is it something that you actively do in terms of building your own capability? I've done a, a few formal, or been exposed to a few formal programs over my time, which have been hugely beneficial. This stage of my career. I'm not doing a lot in that space. I'm a, I'm more of a people watcher, not in a creepy way, but I'm a bit of more of a people watcher. Um, so I like to observe others and the way they go about things and, and kind of take the things that I think are, are positive and is that something that I can adapt in the way that I do X or Y or what have you. So I find that my development is a combination of trying to learn from other people and, and things that I see them doing that I have a lot of respect for, combined with that sort of constant self-reflection, you know, how could I have done that better? Why didn't that go as well as what it should have? You know, could, could we have done that differently? Or could I have done that differently? Um, I also I do like to seek feedback. And I know this sound might sound a bit trite, but the positive feedback, sure, positive feedback's valuable, but constructive criticism is priceless at the end of the day. And... That's the part that I really like. So I very much want to know if there's something that people aren't happy with that's not going right that I think needs to be improved on. That's the goal. That's the stuff I really want to know. So trying to get that feedback, doing that bit of self-reflection, really trying to observe others and what they do and things that I really um, admire, I think, is um, is how I constantly try to make sure that I'm improving myself and, and becoming better. And... Just talking about your industry for a, for a moment, what, what challenges do you think the industry is going to face and how's your leadership going to deal with that? Sticking with that Wasteflex side of it for the time being, I think there's certainly issues with the treatment of waste as a, a commoditised service. The, the efforts on recycling programs, businesses wanting more environmentally friendly or sustainable outcomes for businesses, I think that's something that our business really specialises in because we're not conflicted to the same extent that some traditional waste companies are because of their ownership of landfills, etc. I think our business is well placed to assist other uh, other commercial organisations in dealing with that. But but the way of the world is very much around cost cutting and getting things to the lowest possible price. And I think for our business, one of the challenges is really getting people to see the value in what we do and that 
you know, waste management isn't necessarily just to commoditise services, it's more than just flipping a bin, essentially. And more sophisticated organisations do get that and they do want someone who can provide that expertise. But there's always the trade-off between wanting those outcomes and just wanting to get the cheapest price at any cost because of those internal pressures that come around that. So that's one that we're working hard on in trying to make sure that we are demonstrating the value that we provide to customers because often so much of it happens behind the scenes that it's just not front of mind for them. Um, I think also in that brokerage space, you've seen a lot of other smaller players pop up and I think the biggest issue there is, is probably more to do with, with their ability to actually deliver the size of their networks, things like their accreditation. But But that's more of a... You know, an internal industry thing. And again, we just need to continue to not focus ourselves on what our competition's doing, but just what we believe is the right strategy for our business to get you know, better penetration in the market, deliver for our customers, you know, retain customers and, and you know, bring new ones in into the business, which under our model, um, the more customers we bring on, the better it is for all our, uh, all our business. And uh, I'm always interested in, in who inspires or motivates people on, or who they look up to. Are there any leaders which stand out for you in terms of inspiration or who you look up to? Uh, I wouldn't say I have a, a list of names that I'd roll off, but what does inspire me, I, I suppose firstly, would be people and leaders in particular who are really passionate about what it is they do. I think uh, those people have got real passion it's often what separates the good from the great. So, you know, I do admire those leaders who I come across who are just genuinely really passionate about what they do. But the other thing is I've got a great deal of respect for those leaders who just see things that other people don't and they just spot opportunities that other people don't see or, uh, you know, they find a better way or whatever it might be. I just, you know, I often look back and I just really admire people who've got that ability to, to see that opportunity and, and run with it. You know, it's it's often, it's untried, it's new territory, but they've got the courage to actually pick up the ball and run with it and go ahead of the pack and, and try to exploit that opportunity. And I think that's something that, again, I, I really admire. I think from a, a leadership perspective, though, defaulting to what I would like to think I'm a little bit like myself, but that authentic leadership is really what works for me, I think. Working for a leader who it feels like you know, they're just spurting out something that they think they should as opposed to something that they truly believe and that their actions match their words, that stuff's really important for me. And you know, I have been, been fortunate over the years that I've had some people I've worked for who very much fit into that mould and um, you know, they've been a really, really great influence on me. And so if people want to find out more about you and, and Wasteflex, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Sure. Um, so they can go to the, the website. It, it will be getting a revamp shortly, but they can go to the website, which is wasteflex.com.au. People can, can connect via LinkedIn. Uh, if they like with me, always happy to have a chat and, and uh, a connection with people on LinkedIn, uh, or they can reach us on 1300 Wasteflex. And uh, any last words on leadership? Oh, look, I'm, I'm still learning every day myself, so I don't, I don't profess to be any expert in this space, but... You know, as I said before, leaderships, you know, it's not about title. You really find it everywhere in business. And, um, you know, we all have some sort of leadership role, I, I suppose, for me. And, and, and I guess what I try to do in my role is just be that authentic self. That's really all I know. So, yeah, that's probably about how I'd wrap it up, I suppose. Well, uh, thanks so much, Matt, for being uh, part of the podcast and uh, look forward to hearing about all your success in the future. Thanks, Julian. Appreciate your time. 
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.